This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. ARM unveils supercomputing design. And IBM talks up Power 9. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman, editor of Top500.org, who's distributing our podcast. How's it going, Michael? Very well, Addison. How's it going there? Doing fine, thanks. Well, Michael, it was hot chips this week. Yes. We've been on a run of interesting uh, conferences. This was hot chips number 28. This is actually a really cool conference if people haven't been to it before. It's, there, there are a lot of vendor talks on their architectures for microprocessor design, which is, of course, a really hot area in the industry right now as we move into more of these specialized architectures. But in order to get approved onto the agenda, you have to actually be saying something <laughs> technical and interesting, that you know, something that's in a new, new direction, and then all of the uh, geeks in the audience can take notes to their heart delight. Yeah, it's become a very interesting event, especially, like you said, with sort of the diversity of architectures that have been coming up and commercialized. I mean, just in our space, of course, you got you got Intel, you got IBM with power, you got NVIDIA, you've got now ARM, uh, and not to mention some of the more exotic things you hear about. So it's it's a much more, uh, I think, well-attended and interesting conference than it, or event than it's been in the past. And every year it seems to to get a little bit better. Yeah, they even had a couple of academic projects, a, a kilocore processor right. from uh, UC Davis. They had an, another uh, processor from Princeton. They, they had all of these interesting architectures out there. Now, from our world in HPC, there were a couple of interesting talks. And, of course, NVIDIA was there talking about Pascal. Intel revealed a, a little bit about the Skylake architecture, but really they were talking more about the core implementations for things like gaming they didn't really get into the xeon versions of the of the skylake processors for hpc for my money the more interesting talks for for where we're going in our part of the industry came from uh, ibm with open power the, the power nine architecture they they had some details on and the one we should start with actually there's a lot of details around arm particularly arm v8a Right, ARM V8A, and this is a special version they were talking about called ARM V8A SVE, and the SVE stands for Scalable Vector Extensions. The thing they uh, sort of foreshadowed at the ISC back in June when Fujitsu talked about what it, the direction it was going with its post-K supercomputer. They're going to use a an ARM design for the processor in that system instead of Spark, which they'd used in the past. And what they said is basically ARM is going to standardized an HPC version of the 64-bit ARM design, and they're going to announce it at Hot Chips. And lo and behold, that's what happened. The uh, uh, ARM architect, uh, Nigel Stevens, came in and gave a nice talk on what that chip is going to look like. He didn't give all the, uh, all the details, but a lot of it. He talked a lot about the scalable vector extension, which is sort of the main uh, addition to the 64-bit design that they came out with a few years ago. Yeah, this SVE extension is something that a lot of people were excited about from a programming standpoint, wanting to know what that looks like. And he started his talk by discussing what is the preferred vector length for uh, HPC workloads. And he said they actually studied it and came to the conclusion that there 
There isn't one. There's right. not a single preferred vector length. So what they did with SVE, scalable vector extension, is they made it so that the vector length uh, adjusts dynamically according to uh, according to what's needed at a given time. So you said it's not a, an extension of advanced SIMD. This is really a a, a, a a, a new method for for programming this, and and that, that it quote begins to address traditional barriers to auto vectorization. That's with these uh, uh, variable length vectors. Right now, each implementation of this has to pick a a particular vector length. It looks like um, Fujitsu is going to pick 512 bits as their vector length, which is happens to be the same as uh, Xeon Phi under Intel did for their vector length, but you. You could pick basically anything between 128 bits all the way up to 2048 bits, but it depends upon sort of what application space you're going after and sort of the price performance power trade-offs you're willing to make. Of course, the larger vectors, you know, they're going to cost you a lot more uh, power as, as you get up to those upper limits, um, and then you're going to have to make the choice that this your application set is going to use all that. So. Uh, at this point, something intermediate is probably specific, but then, or probably reasonable. But then, as as we've noticed, the vector lengths seem to expand as we go through time, and maybe at some point that 2048 will be a, a used upper limit. But it it is interesting that they made it sort of a variable standard, and then you're going to have the compiler come in and look at the hardware and say, and and make sort of a decision at runtime and say, well, here's the vector length, so here's how we're going to compile the code to to this size, and then take that same executable, put it on another system with a different, you know, vector uh, setup, and it'll work basically the same way with uh, under the new hardware. With the scalable vector extensions, they're going to have a 512-bit uh, SIMD. There's some, other, uh, there's some other details that came out, like an enhanced scatter-gather, enhanced math acceleration. The interesting thing there is enhanced uh, uh, predicate operations. Going back to Nigel's talk, uh, this really had to do with the programming of these things, but he spent several slides talking about predicates and, and how they're used in terms of programming for these uh, variable length vectors. Now, I'm not a programmer myself. I know I can impersonate one from time to time. So uh, the actual implementation, I'll refer people to uh, to his slides, but, uh, but that was the implementation for uh, writing code to take advantage of these features. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this, of course, Fujitsu is going to use this in their post-case supercomputer that's going to be an exascale system. But now, any ARM licensee will now be able to pick up this design, license it, and build their own, basically, vector processor, or HPC. Uh, HPC processor will be something, probably uh, the closest thing to it will be something like a Xeon Phi, which is, is a many-core thing with, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of floating point capability, but now you can do this in ARM for the first time, or you soon will be able to do that. I think it's supposed to be a the standard supposed to be finalized sometime at the end of this year, or maybe early next year. And at that point, it'll be open to anybody who wants to build such a chip. Now, there's not going to be a lot of takers to build a, a vector processor. I mean, Fujitsu is an, an obvious choice here, but anybody could do it if they have a good idea or if they have a good set of applications or or customer desires to build a special chip that, that's more high price, they could come up and build something very customized for, for that application set. So it's a very interesting development and sort of pulls ARM 
out of sort of the general purpose server space uh, and puts it squarely against things like Xeon Phi and, and NVIDIA and, and things like that that are, are ensconced directly in supercomputing. Yeah, it bears repeating, going back to ISC, that I thought Fujitsu's commitment to ARM for post-K architecture is the most significant endorsement ARM has had for HPC and supercomputing. So you're right, this general spec availability late 16 or at the latest early 2017, uh, potentially really changing the landscape here. Let's go to the other uh, talk I wanted to, to focus on. Brian Thompto of uh, IBM Power9 uh, gave a presentation on the 14 nanometer uh, Power 9 chip under the banner built for the cognitive era and also highlighted certain things like calling Power 9 the premier platform for accelerated computing. Yeah, it looks like the Power 9 design is actually built around that theme, that they're going to try and make it so that the power can connect to basically any type of accelerator out there. And it doesn't matter what protocol they're using as a, as a, as a data link because the Power9 is going to support basically all of them. So they're supporting PCIe, in this case, up all the way up to Gen 4, that's the new one, um, as well as the backward compatible ones. And they're supporting NVLink, of course, for NVIDIA, since they're partners, the, the newest version of NVLink. And then they're supporting their own CAPI uh, uh, data link to accelerators, something that IBM came up with. But now there's, there's two versions of it, apparently. There's an enhanced version and 2.0. And not quite sure what the difference between the two is, but they're supporting both of those. And all of those protocols are built in to uh, the Power 9 chip. So basically you can come up with any accelerator on the planet almost and stick it onto a, a Power 9. It should work. Yeah, it was interesting that, that CAPI going forward, they kind of had two new versions, one of which they called CAPI 2.0 and one of which they called new CAPI. Uh, one difference is how they plug into the system. They've got CAPI 2.0 plus PCIe devices coming in through the PCIe Gen 4 uh, interface, and then NVLink 2.0 and new CAPI, which supports things like FPGAs, are coming in through this 25-gig uh, Blue Link interface uh, into the system. And then uh, there's also some on-chip acceleration for pretty standard things like uh, compression and encryption. Uh, the, so they're highlighting that because it's also kind of an acceleration. But really what they're trying to do is set them up for all different types of acceleration for these different kinds of workloads. Right, exactly. And that that strategy has sort of informed the design of where they're going with power because the fact that they're basically going to use accelerators as sort of the – in, in certain cases, as a, as a flops accelerator for like these supercomputers, they didn't add a whole lot of flops to Power 9. I mean, they got the, the basic 50% increase over the previous generation Power 8, but it's not a it's not a flops monster like a Xeon Phi or anything close to it. In fact, it's probably not even as powerful as as mainstream Xeons these days. They're gonna they're gonna uh, concentrate on on basic computing in the in the server space in the data center, and they're going to leave uh, sort of special purpose acceleration to the accelerators, and so that's what they've done with the Power Nine. The only place where they sort of exceed expectations, you might say, is in the memory bandwidth department, which the Power has always been very good at because they're they're sort of a very data centric uh, design, so they're they're better than Xeon in that sense, and better than most CPUs. In fact, they're up in the you know, 120 up to 230 gigabytes per second range, which is a, a very 
fast memory access for a CPU. But other than that, they've basically stuck just by modernizing the um, the CPU, adding some uh, some things around the edges to improve throughput, and then of course going to the the 14 nanometer FinFET technology to, to put more cores on the chip, in this case, uh, up to 24 cores. But other than that, it's a, a straight-up power system. Well, I mean, you were taking note of the memory architecture, and it's worth pointing out there that they've got a, what they're calling a dual memory subsystem. They've got a bifurcated approach between scale-up and scale-out. Right. Scale-out is a direct-attached memory with eight direct DDR4 ports, and that's where you get the 128 gigabytes a second of sustained bandwidth in a commodity packaging form factor, but they also have a scale-up subsystem that uses what they call buffered memory and eight buffered channels, and that's where you get higher capacity with up to eight terabytes a socket and up to 230 gigabytes a second of sustained bandwidth. So uh, that kind of scale-up, scale-out, what do you think of that approach? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good approach, especially when you're competing against Intel, which basically has the equivalent in their sort of EP and EX lines. I mean, the, the dual socket versus multi-socket uh, lines, which which are, are going to be sort of merged in, on the Intel side going forward. But if if you're competing against the Xeon line, you want to be able to hit all the same notes. In this case, they've just chosen to sort of split the split the power sort of down the middle and, and have a dual socket version and a multi-socketed version, I think that'll that'll be better to go head-to-head. -head. In this case, like you mentioned, they're going to have faster um, memory bandwidth on the dual socket version. That's the one that we're probably going to be most familiar with since those are the ones that are more than likely going into the HPC systems, supercomputers, that sort of thing. So in that sense, it's got a little bit of a leg up. Um, like I said, they're a little bit less in the flops department, but again, they're looking to NVIDIA and other accelerators to, to help them out on that front. Well, I think that's the key point there, really, that it, I, don't, I don't care about uh, going after everything that Xeon goes after. I, I, I'm fine with them specializing and say, here's where we're going to go win. Yep. But in terms of having the, the two different memory uh, uh, architectures or, or, or subsystems, you know, you've got to have one where you're attacking traditional HPC and supercomputing like they have with the Coral. But if they're also going to go after machine learning, deep learning, and have uh, NVIDIA take a lot of the computation on that, that's where you're going to see a lot of the scale-out kinds of form factors. So it, it right. really does seem they're going to use both of those for their key strategies around power. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's sort of a shame they weren't able to sort of duplicate the high-end or the highest-end memory bandwidth on the scale outside, but that would have taken a lot more memory controllers. It's more difficult to do. Yeah, it's too but, expensive. It's too expensive. Yeah. The target customers there don't want to pay for that. Exactly, and that's where they're going after. To scale out, you, it's the same thing. You, you're buying a lot of these uh, units, so you, you can't you can't buy a lot of ten thousand dollars CPUs and build a you know a, a ten thousand node supercomputer out of that. It becomes exorbitant. So you have to make those trade offs. But again, they sort of picked their. Uh, They've picked their strategy and they've picked how they how they want to compete, and I think it's a it's a reasonable strategy going forward, especially considering they're they're not going the Intel way of sort of putting everything onto the same chip and then sort of separating the product lines that way. So it'll be interesting to see how it competes going forward. We're going to see the Power Nines, of course, in Summit and Sierra in a year or two in these hundred plus petaflop systems alongside the Voltage GPUs. So we'll get our first 
taste of that technology in these very large supercomputers in, in the not-too-distant future. A good set of talks from Hot Chips 28. You've got a lot of good write-ups, I know, on top500.org where our listeners can get a little more information. But I'll look forward to this conference again next year for sure. Definitely. All right, Michael, thanks a lot. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.